Welcome to Insights Now, a series of conversations designed to shine a light of clarity on the complex world of investing. This season is a special summer series entitled Market Movers, as we will focus on key themes that have the potential to move markets today and over the long term. If you're listening to the audio version of this podcast, you can watch along on YouTube by tuning into our JP Morgan Asset Management channel. Hello, I'm David Kelly, Chief Global Strategist here at JP Morgan Asset Management, and welcome to Insights Now. So let's get started. There are a lot of questions surrounding AI and its potential to change both the economy and society. So I'm here with Michael Albrecht and Stephanie Aliaga, who have both been doing a lot of research into what AI might mean for the workforce, for productivity, and for economic growth. Uh, and, and you're actually putting this out in a forthcoming research publication. Um, so Mike is a strategist with our multi-asset solutions team here at JP Morgan Asset Management, and Stephanie's a research analyst in my team uh, who spends a lot of time focusing on the U.S. economy. She's also helped a ton with these podcasts, so thank you for that, Stephanie. Um, so it's great to have you both at this table here. So let me start with you, Mike. Why AI now? I mean, AI has been around for a while, so why is there so much excitement about AI right now? Yeah, that, that's really the, the question of the day, right? There, there's a lot of excitement in the market right now. And, and really what, what sets us apart from, from the, the prior waves of, of AI excitement that we've had in the past is the, the generative nature of, of AI. So it's, it's, it's really generative AI, uh, as it's known, that, that mm -hmm. people are excited about. The, the best example of this, the most obvious one, is, is ChatGPT, the, the product from OpenAI, that, that chatbot that you can ask any kind of question and it applies to you in a very natural language way. Now that, that's text-based, but there's also other technologies similar that, that work with images like, like Dolly and, and can really generate images uh, based on a, a text prompt. Um, now, if you compare that to, to where we were, you know, several years ago, uh, thinking back to, to 1997, I, I grew up playing chess, uh, and I remember when, when Gary, Gary Kasparov got, got defeated by, by the, the IBM computer. Uh, you know, that was a very primitive example Wait, of they, AI, yes. but, but AI nonetheless. Uh, and, and we've come a long way since then. There, there's been progress on machine learning. So, you know, when, when, I, when I open up my phone, um, I, can, I can search Bumblebee within mm -hmm. Google Photos and I'll come up with a, with a result of the pictures that I took a few weeks ago. Yeah. Um, and and uh, that's because Google has gone and, and, and tagged my picture with, with all the, the, the contents of, of uh, what they understand is in that picture. Um, and and um, so that, that's really cool, right? And, and a lot of resources goes into this. Every time you go on the internet and, and you have to verify you're a uh, human and very annoyingly and you have to pick the, the images with the fire hydrants in them, you, you're training a model and, and, and that, that's very useful, right? The, the difference now with, with generative AI is that I can, I can actually ask it to, to show me a picture, a photorealistic picture of a bumblebee wearing a hat. I can, I can ask a, you know, uh, Dali to do that, or I can ask a ChatGPT to write me a story about a bumblebee learning to fly. So that there, there's a lot of differences here. And, and maybe silly as it sounds, it's, it's very important because you're not just writing a story, you could potentially write a movie script, right? And that, that's why the, the, um, the screenwriters in America are on strike right now. Now, to be sure, there, there's only about 10,000 screenwriters in the US, uh, but if you can write a movie script or at least help to do that, then you can probably write computer code or, and help uh, help software engineers debug their code. You can probably help lawyers draft contracts and write legal opinions. So th there's, a, there's a lot that you can potentially do just in that text space. And then if you think about the, the visual components, you, you can imagine that the graphic designers, video editors, a lot of their work can be automated as well, ultimately. 
Um, and and so what ultimately when when we imagine what generative AI can do across the the whole economy, the impact can really be be massive. Sometimes it's actually easier to imagine what what generative AI can't do. And the biggest category there is that that it can't do physical things. It can't pick up a glass of water and and give it to somebody, sure. right? Um, but but it, it, it in our in our information economy in our, our desk jobs that there's a lot that that we do that it could potentially be be automated. Uh, so so the the bottom line to your question, I think, is, is that you know, what really sets generative AI apart is that there there's so much that it, it can do that that uh, that we do today, and and um, and ultimately being able to automate that much can have a really big impact on our daily lives in the economy. Sure. So, Stephanie, do, do you agree with that? Yeah, and I mean, I think the other main reason for excitement is that this has been able to become suddenly so mainstream. And the reason that this technology has, you know, the adoption speed has really been able to take off is because unlike the advent of the computer, where first for everyone to use computers, you needed to build, you know, these expensive computer labs and teach everyone how to use a computer. Now everyone already has computers, smartphones. They can just search up OpenAI on, on their mobile phone and begin using the technology right away. So that's how there's that statistic that ChatGBT broke records by reaching one million users in just five days. I mean, that's really, you know, the key here is that it's approachable to the average non-technical human. And then businesses are also catching on, right? There are a lot of exciting things that this can do for businesses and making their um, processes more efficient. Um, and so we've seen this wave of investment dollars flowing into AI in recent years. So just in the five years ending in 2021, you saw global business investment increase by six times on AI technologies. Um, AI startups are also exploding, but it's not just startups, right? It's also the largest companies in the S&P 500. So we actually look through earnings transcripts of the first quarter earnings calls this, um, this year, and about 30% of S&P 500 management teams were talking about AI. And that's up from 13% last year compared to the, you know, the last hype wave around crypto that really only ever got to 7% of S&P 500 companies. So the business focus on this has been really impressive too. And it shows how, you know, AI is really well positioned to grow and scale in the coming years. So, so it sounds to me like it's, it's not just the generative part is really important because it can actually almost think, which is, is really what, what's bizarre about it, but also... You know, Stephanie, to your point, the fact it's this accessibility to the masses. Because I remember when I started with computers, and now I'm dating myself, you literally had to write in DOS for disk operating system at the first prompt in order to get the thing going. Yeah. Uh, which, and and but it was really it was uh, behind a, a very uh, obscure wall in terms of using these. But now anybody can use them because the AI is not just good at coming up with ideas; it's also good at understanding humans. Mm-hmm. So this. It could have a lot of productivity implications, obviously, but but what do you think? I mean, how, how can you can you quantify what those productivity implications might be? Yeah, so there's a lot of estimates out there. Um, I mean, just starting at a firm level, right? There, there's a range of empirical studies that have looked at this, and they've observed that companies adopting AI technologies can experience something like 10 to 20 percent uh, in believer productivity gains, you know, just in in, in their one company. Um, and then there's estimates that kind of expand on an aggregate productivity level for the U.S. economy. And uh, Goldman Sachs thinks that that could potentially contribute to 2 to 3% in productivity growth every year for the next 10 years. McKinsey also has done their own analysis. They found you know similar numbers. And to put that into context, like productivity growth has been pretty lackluster 
in the past 10 years. Right? Me and you have done a lot of work on this. Yes. One of the more frustrating things when, when forecasting economic growth, we're just not getting productivity. And that's grown at like 1.4% since 2005. So we're talking about an incremental gain of about 2 to 3% just from generative AI and AI technologies. It's said a different way. I mean, this could add trillions to the global economy in terms of total output, right? So McKinsey has added this up, and they think this could add between two to th- two to $4 trillion to global GDP globally. Mm-hmm. That's like adding an entire you know economy the size of the UK each year. Mm-hmm. And this is just well, from... I hope it operates better than the UK economy. <laughs> I hope so, too. <laughs> um, uh, so, that you know, we're really talking about some really major impacts here from AI, potentially. Yeah, Mike, do you have some thoughts on productivity? Yeah, yeah. So, so a couple of things. I mean, first of all, I think there, there's a tremendous amount of uncertainty here. Uh, so we have to really be humble when we're talking about any of these numbers and, and really trying to, to quantify anything. It's, it's hard to, to pin down a, exact numbers, and you'll hear a lot of very, very wide ranges, and, and we have those ourselves. Uh, the uncertainties come from the technology itself. You know, we see what ChatGPT is able to do today. We don't know what it's going to be able to do in, in 10 years from now. It's going to be able to advance significantly from, from where it is now. There is some some uh, uncertainty about the the willingness and ability of, of businesses to really adopt that, and and then if that is the case, um, you know how 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 do societies respond ultimately, and, and governments respond? Do people go and, and they they find uh, different kinds of, of work um, after after they they've they've maybe been displaced from their job because of automation? That's something we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll get into. Um, but but then on, th- on top of that, finally, um, th- there's all these complementary innovations that that we don't even know yet what they're mm-hmm. going to be. Um, so that that would be kind of the the, the first thing that, that I'd add. But uh, you know, we, we've done a lot of the, these calculations ourselves, and, and I think just just one thing to to kind of set the stage here, so we know what we're talking about. A lot of people tend to think about you know this job is going to be automated by AI, and, and this job is not. But really, what what the work that's being done is looking at um, more at a task level. So. There's databases out there that look at every single task that you can you can possibly imagine for every single job. You can cross-reference that with some other databases to look at at the the amount of uh, those jobs in the economy, mm-hmm. and they come up with the the task content, every single task in the economy, and you can go one by one and say, "Hey, I can do that. Hey, I can probably do that," and mm-hmm. so on. And at the end of the day, you, you get a number that I think in our in our view, um, you know, probably we think that some of these estimates out there. Are a little bit ambitious, but but something like five to twenty percent of the economy uh, could probably be automated at the end of the day over the next ten and, years or so. Yeah, and, and I mean you talk about autom- automation, but productivity isn't just about automating existing tasks. I mean, there's more to it than that. Yeah, exactly, and that's the other you know major point when it comes to AI is that when we think about the past, you know, transformative technologies that have really shaped um, the way we live today. So things like the steam engine. When you know, the, actually, the steam engine was first made to help pump water out of coal mines, um, and then people realized, oh wow, this technology is really neat. We can use this to build railroads and, and steamships, which then gave way to innovations in supply chains. Um, you know, and really created the industrial revolution um, more wholly. Um, similar to the computer, right? It sparked a whole bunch of, of innovations digitally that populate our lives today. So when it comes to AI, I mean, I think what we're dealing with is is there's a number of complementary innovations that can come out of this that we can only begin to imagine. And the other thing that actually gets you really excited is, is the potential to accelerate innovation itself from AI. So AI can help automate, right, a lot of time-consuming tasks. Well, through the research and development process is 
quite long because of a lot of those time consuming tasks. Um, AI can also analyze vast amounts of data. And in doing so, it can uncover new insights, better ways of doing things, provide us with those insights, create a more seamless uh, environment for human mm -hmm. collaboration and creativity. We can get our own like smart assistant in all of our team meetings um, to help take notes and suggest ideas. And when you hear from the leaders in AI, I mean, this is what they're really excited about. It's less so much of the automation of, of tasks, it's it's the ability to to really help solve a lot of important real world problems. It, it sort of reminds me of, of DNA, which not only is the product of evolution, but is an amazing evolution machine by the very frequency with, with which it makes mistakes and replicates. So, you know, a, a truly magnificent evolutionary process is not just one that evolves, but actually speeds the pace of evolution. This seems like very much sort of a parallel thing that AI can actually speed the rate of innovation of AI. Yeah. Very interesting. But so this is all very positive, but the but the downside, of course, is we're going to take our jobs. I mean, are you are you worried about the um, you know the employment impact of, of AI? There's definitely a, a tendency to think about that that risk, and, and if if there 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 is a risk, that that's definitely one of the one of the bigger ones. Um, it, I think you know um, that there there's a lot there's a lot of of work out there that that involves you know repetition very very uh, boring work that, that we don't like to do and, and it's it's a fortunate thing actually that that, that AI can can maybe automate a lot of that stuff um, but uh, you, know, you, you can imagine for for us for instance kind of reading through a lot of the, the research that that tends to be uh, saying the same thing is kind of coming away with some summary points can help us do our jobs a lot better right and, yeah. and save us gives a lot of time and, and, and open up opportunities to do to do more interesting things I suppose that the downside to that is that if, if we've got a whole bunch of other time on our hands, uh, we we can spend that doing doing other things, and and uh, ultimately that that can mean a few things. Um, in, in a perfectly optimized world, perhaps we we could all go out and and have a lot, a lot of leisure time. You know, the the, the Keynesian fifteen hour work week, if you will, uh, really gets materialized. Um, whether that happens, I think, is a big question. Probably the the more likely kind of result is, is that uh, some of us um, are needed to do jobs, but but not not quite as many people. Um, and and ultimately that that means you don't need a, a team that's quite as big. Uh, the other possibility is that the clients are wind up uh, wind up asking us to do a little bit more, and we we end up delivering much more more interesting uh, wholesome work. And and that that's uh, that, that's kind of the the other possibility. So you, the reality is probably a, a mixture of, of both of these. Um, the the one thing that 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 kind of the maybe a related point that, that I would add to this is that there there's really a lot that that uh, that, ch that the likes of ChatGPT can't do yet, right? So you, you you've got um, you know, the, the way I kind of think about it, if, and, and I've used it a lot in, in, in like my own writing and, and trying to help me. Um, but you know, I, sometimes it, it it doesn't doesn't quite seem to to understand what you're asking it to do. Um, it it's um, in many cases it, it kind of hallucinates some mm -hmm. some information that, that isn't quite true. And and uh, when it does do what you want it to do, it can be a little bit wordy. So it, it, it's it's not quite a refined product. It, in some ways, it kind of reminds me of of sort of the, the new person on the team who's who's uh, kind of coming up and and uh, and figuring out how to do things. Mm -hmm. You know, so they, they'll they'll hand you a piece of work, which is very useful. It saves me a lot of time. But at the end of the day, it, it needs another layer of of expertise on top of that. Yeah. And, and I think that that's essentially what a lot of us can continue to do. The, the bottom line, though, is that that you just don't need as many people to to perform that that really interesting work. 
I think we're still ironing out some of the kinks with ChatGPT and generative AI, but the net result is that, you know, yes, a large swath of workers will be exposed to automation in their job. I mean, automation isn't a new phenomenon. It's not necessarily something to be wholly scared of um, in its entirety, but I do think it's going to challenge workers to particularly home in on those skills that humans are uniquely good at. Complex problem solving, collaboration, creativity. And then there's this swath of, of jobs, too, that we don't really think we'll see much automation anytime soon. Um, it looks like the use of robotics, at least on a broad scale, is still a long ways away. So, I mean, a lot of the jobs that require manual labor, to my earlier point, will still be there. So you'll still need to mow your lawn or hire someone to do it. And then there's a bunch of jobs where we just simply, the human, the human value, the human component of that job is so valuable, it likely won't be automated. So when you think about, um, you know, daycare providers, celebrities, hopefully market strategists. <laughs> well, yeah, and I suppose part of it is, you know, can the economy generate enough demand for new stuff to make up for the uh, for some of the older stuff that's being done more efficiently, which is really what the economy has really, really done. I mean, I've, I've always believed, particularly in America, that people actually don't want to spend more time with their relatives, so they will find something to do, <laughs> something to want and something to do. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, I, I, you know, I think, you know, over the, as, as I think you both alluded to, o over the years, people have often talked about how some technology is going to kill jobs and somehow the economy always managed to find the demand for new stuff, new services, new things, Yeah. Uh, which, which keeps, us, uh, keeps us employed. Exactly. I mean, history shows this too. Over 80% of the employment growth that we've seen in the U.S. economy since the 1980s is explained by this tech-driven creation of new jobs. So yes, we've already displaced a lot of the farmers and textile workers that we used to have. And, you know, back in the 1800s, over 80% of the U.S. workforce was working in the fields, right? But then the agricultural revolution, did it lead to mass unemployment? No, it actually, um, well, first it created, it, it made the cost of a lot of those agricultural goods cheaper. So people had more money to spend on other things and spend they did, right? So that created the birth of all of these new industries, which then needed new uh, to employ new people and so forth. So this long history of tech innovation that we've experienced in the U.S. has been associated with the birth of new jobs that have offset a lot of that labor creation. But but one of the downsides in in prior you know, technological revolutions has been occasionally a widening of the, of the income gap. And I mean, certainly that was true of the Industrial Revolution, where there were a lot of factory workers who were barely you know, on starvation wages, even as some in society really lived very well off the, the productivity gains of, of the Industrial Revolution. So I'm wondering, do you worry that the AI revolution could lead to even greater inequality? Yeah, I, I think that that's a very fair concern, and it's it's probably the the, the biggest thing in, in the next several years that, that we would be concerned about and, and, and in terms of something that could actually threaten the the uh, the, the strength of, of economies globally and, and, and societies and, and the individuals in them. Uh, you know, you mentioned the Industrial Revolution that has certainly been true of that growing inequality over the last few decades, that you've had a lot of economic growth, but it, it really hasn't accrued to the, to the masses. Okay. And ultimately, the, the same could be true for artificial intelligence. Uh, just kind of thinking about this maybe a little bit conceptually here, if you have a robot taking a human job, um, that that uh, that robot's going to earn those wages that, mm -hmm. that the human was was uh, was earning before. Except those wages are accruing to capital, right? That someone owns the the robot at the end of the day. So ultimately, we would think that that probably 
AI and, and automation in general is probably more accretive to to capital holders than it is to labor yep. overall. Um, the the other thing to consider maybe is, is that that the the jobs that are maybe the the most exposed tend to be a little bit more more middle class kind of like paralegals, if you will, and 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 so you might have more of a hollowing out and and you know sorting people into to yep. more extremes uh, on the the low and the and the high side. Um, the last thing I'd add here, David, is is just that that. As we transition to the, the, this new world, and 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 um, and a, as there's potentially an excess supply of labor in, in certain sectors, that that could put kind of downward equilib- downward pressure on, on the equilibrium wages in those sectors. Yeah. I will say that there might be some countervailing forces when it comes to AI in particular. I mean, I think the long you know era of, of computerization definitely led to this hollowing out of the middle. Yeah. But what's unique about AI is that it could potentially like lend expertise to those novice or less yep. skilled workers um, that they haven't, you know, gone through the lived experience or gained the credentials to, to attain those. And it can make, you know, it could actually empower that, that, you know, cohort of workers to provide, you know, better services, drive greater value add. So for example, if you had a junior analyst that wanted to pitch uh, a new, you know, digital app or interface for their company, right? You'd first need to hire a really expensive computer programmer to write the code for you and an expensive graphic designer. Now, like Google already has a service where you can kind of, you keep all of the customization tools to build out an app yourself. And so now that, you know, analyst is actually empowered to to, to do a lot more than than it could have before, maybe couldn't yeah. afford those skills and such. So so, so it makes tech, you know, the power of tech accessible to those who really are pretty non-techy. Yeah. Which actually feels really good to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When I when I applied for this job, there was a Python assessment. So. <laughs> oh, okay. That's, that's, <laughs> maybe we don't have that anymore. Okay, maybe, maybe I'll skip Python altogether. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, but there are other dance, you know, more nefarious outcomes from AI. Do you, do you worry a little bit about some of the, the more doomsday outcomes from AI yeah I, I think that that's that's a long way off uh, in terms of, of maybe AI being able to take all of our jobs or, or, or resulting in some kind of Terminator situation yeah. where it, it gain, gains uh, you know free will and, and consciousness and all of that uh, I think in the near term you know going back to the the for thinking about the downsides here going back to the the point about inequality that is probably the the biggest one that, that we're, we're yeah. really focused on. Um, we, we think that that uh, progressive automation is is going to to gradually erode um, the the ability of people to to find uh, jobs that that pay well, and and uh, for that uh, I think governments have have a big role to play, right? In, in terms of kind of first of all, very actively redistributing some of of the, the income shares. It sounds like people have to be pretty flexible themselves in in just understanding how technology is changing the, the you know the, the workplace landscape and, and adapting to it. Yeah, I think that's the other main risk. I mean, I think I kind of talked about maybe a more sanguine outcome, right, for labor. But the risk is that this is just happening so fast that it doesn't give labor time to adjust. So I think the potential for you know large frictional unemployment is very real. And there's a lot of questions that we have to answer too as a society, right? Is, you know, now that we're kind of automate a lot of the routine tasks that a lot of workers, you know, only know, they've only been doing that for years. Um, can everyone be a great problem solver? Um, how do we kind of train people for that? Or are we teaching that in classrooms? So these are all kind of big questions um, that I think the speed at which this, this technology is taking off 
uh, really makes more urgent for business leaders and governments to address. Yeah, and maybe just picking up on on that that last point, I think this is this is the first time in in at least a, a few decades where it, it's it's hard to imagine what the most popular jobs of the next 10, 10 15 years are going to be. Is it makes our long term capital market forecasting a, a very very difficult process. I mean, you, you mentioned uh, coding and 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 so forth, and and it, it's. It's hard to know. Is the world of tomorrow is that going to be one where we need more coders to help with all this this AI, or is that something that AI can do on its own, and you don't need those coders, or is the job of coding just going to be something completely different? So I, I think what if there's maybe one takeaway from all this is the importance of of flexibility yeah. and, and people's being adaptable to new environments, and also being being uh, you know very active from from a society perspective of retraining people. And, and yeah, and then policymakers also have to have a very clear eye and clear view of what AI is doing do, doing to yeah. the society and to the economy. Um, well, listen, thank you so much, Mike and Stephanie. This, is, this has been fascinating. And thank you all for tuning in. Our team will be hosting webcasts and producing more AI content in the coming weeks. You can find links and additional information in the description box below. In the next episode of the Market Movers series, uh, we'll discuss the demographic shifts of this decade that are shaping the investment environment with my colleague, Jack Manley. Until next time, thank you all for tuning in. This content is intended for information only based on assumptions in current market conditions and are subject to change. No warranty of accuracy is given. This content does not contain sufficient information to support investment decisions. It is not to be construed as research, legal, regulatory, tax, accounting, or investment advice. Investments involve risks. Investors should seek professional advice or make an independent evaluation before investing. The value of investments and the income from them may fluctuate including loss of capital. Past performance and yield are not indicative of current or future results. Forecasts and estimates may or may not come to pass. J.P. Morgan Asset Management is the asset management business of J.P. Morgan Chase & Company and its affiliates worldwide.